Hello, and welcome back. I am so glad that you are here with me today. Today I want to talk about something that is, I'm going to admit, a little bit scary for me to talk about. The title of this podcast episode today is How Not to Get Kidnapped, or subtitle, Things I Learned from Being the Survivor of an Attempted Kidnapping Twice. This is an important topic, clearly, um, <laughs> that that I feel passionately about, as you might imagine. And so I'm just going to jump right in to sharing my story with you. This happened when I was 10 years old. I had a paper route and I delivered newspapers to the neighborhoods right around my house. This involved, I don't know, several square blocks in the city. And this was in Minnesota, so it got dark early. I would get out of school at about 3.30, and by the time I got home, the sun was definitely going down in the winter, and it was dusk, and I would regularly return home from my paper route after it was dark. This was, I will admit, largely my own doing, um, the, the late paper route getting home business, because I dawdled on the paper route. This was my perfect time to daydream, to tell myself stories, to get lost in my own head, and I would make up the most amazing and interesting to me and sad and tragic stories and would just tell myself stories as I walked down the street and put newspapers in between the screen door and the front door of people's houses. One day in the winter when I was 10 years old, I was out on my paper route after school delivering papers, lost in my thoughts, when I noticed a man following me in his car. It was an old green car, and he was driving slowly, matching his pace of driving exactly with my pace of walking. I'm a 10-year-old girl. I'm not booking it down the street. I'm just daydreaming, dawdling, going along. And so he's driving very slowly, his car inching along. You might be able to hear the tires crunching over the snow on the road as he just creeps along right next to me, staring at me, making eye contact with me. I was terrified. And I thought... I should knock on someone's door and tell them there's a creepy man out here following me. I was coming up to one of the houses on my paper route where I knew the people who lived there, not like they were friends of the family, but I knew them because some people mailed in their payments for the newspaper and some people I would collect payments from them. This is telling you something about my age. And these were some people where I collected payments. So I interacted with them, I don't know, maybe on a monthly basis, collecting their payments for their newspapers. But I was terrified. This car, this green car is creeping along slowly beside me. This man is watching me. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if it was okay to knock on a door. I didn't want to overreact. I didn't want to seem like I was being dramatic and blowing things out of proportion. You know, the hysterical girl. And I didn't want to impose on people. I knew that I was supposed to be quiet and not intrusive. Don't, don't make a fuss. So I didn't make a fuss. I just kept my head down and kept going. And after, I don't know, maybe half a city block, 
he sped up and drove off. And I thought maybe that was the end of it. It happened three more times in that week. And maybe you can imagine how terrified I was by this point. I finally told my parents about it at dinner. We were having spaghetti that night. Not spaghetti with spaghetti. doesn't really matter, but it was elbow pasta. Um, it's a really clear memory in my mind of when I, I told my parents about this. And, um, and my dad said, well, did you get the license plate number? And I thought, oh, well, that's a good idea. Like, why didn't I think of that? Never mind that I was 10. No, I hadn't gotten the license plate number. So I thought, okay, that's a great idea. Next time I see this creepy man, I'm going to get his license plate number. So then, to my surprise, I didn't see the car again for several weeks. He just seemed to be gone. And in my little 10-year-old mind, what that meant was that I assumed that he had heard my dad tell me to get his license plate number. I was so terrified of him at this point that I thought, he must have been crouching outside my kitchen window while we were having dinner, and he heard my dad tell me that. And so he decided to leave me alone. I don't know if this made me more or less terrified, but this was not a comforting thought to me. It meant to me that he wasn't just watching me on my paper route. He was watching me when I was home. If anything, my fear and terror increased. So fast forward a while, I don't know exactly how long, um, maybe a couple of weeks, I was late for school one morning. This was normal. I was late for school most mornings. And so um, all the kids in my neighborhood walked to school together. We had crossing guards. I was in fifth grade at this point. The crossing guards were in sixth grade. And we walked in a group together to school, except me, because I was so often late for school. Uh, Again, lost in my head, daydreaming as I was getting ready for school in the morning. And honestly, there were about a million places I would rather have been than going to school. I was walking along in the snow when I saw up at an intersection ahead of me the green car. It was parked on the side of the road. And he was standing there outside of his car with his arms crossed, leaning against the car, waiting for me. There was a second car at the intersection. This other car was white and was parked, the, the green car was parked on the opposite side of the street from me, um, up against the park. And there was a second man standing there also outside of his car, also watching me. So as I approached this intersection, there are two men watching me. I knew that I should run. There was no doubt in my mind that I was, I, I was like a fly heading into a spider's trap. And I was so terrified that my brain shut down. I, and thoughts went through my head. I should knock on a door and ask for help. There was a little house on the corner right there. And I knew that there was an elderly lady who lived there. She was nice. She sometimes came out and talked to the kids in the neighborhood. And I thought, I can knock on her door. She'll help me. And then I was so terrified that the thought that went through my head was, 
They probably knew I was going to think that, and so they killed her before I got here. I wasn't thinking clearly. I'm going to tell you right now that I was in what we call the Black Zone. You can hear about this in my earlier episode that's titled The Black Zone that I recorded with Emily Taylor. In the fight, flight, or freeze state of fear, I was in the freeze state where it's really hard to think, it's really hard to process thoughts, and it's really hard to take action. We're very, very open to impressions at that point, and we will do pretty much anything we're told to do. I kept walking toward the men, and when I got to the intersection, he spoke to me, the man at the green car. He said he was having car trouble, and he told me that he needed my help. He told me to get into his car and press on the gas pedal and see if I could get the car to go, because he couldn't get it to go. I looked at the other man at the white car, and he just stood there and looked at me. So I did it. I walked across the street, and I got into his car. I looked over at the, there was a bench seat, so it was like I could slide all the way across to the passenger side door. I looked over there and the passenger side door was locked and in my black zone state, it didn't occur to me that I could unlock that door. I just thought I'm trapped. I pushed on the gas and the engine revved, but obviously nothing happened. I didn't know anything about driving a car. I didn't know that the car was undoubtedly a neutral. So as he moved to get into the car and to move me over onto the passenger seat, a third man came running. This was my little sister's friend's dad. He lived a few houses away from us. He came running across the street and he shoved him, the guy that had been following me and who had the green car, out of the way of the door of the car up against the back of the car, like the back where the back passenger door would be. And the car shook when he pushed him into it. And this dad shouted. I don't know what he shouted, but I remember that he shouted something. There, I think maybe there were questions. I don't know. I don't know if he answered. But the dad picked me up and carried me across the street. And this dad set me down on the sidewalk. And he told me to run as fast as I could to school and not to stop until I got there. And I did. So I sat there in my fifth grade classroom, terrified, shaking in my seat so that it was hard to write. My legs were shaking. I kept looking out the window, wondering if he was coming to get me, wondering if he was watching me, wondering, does he know where I am? I would love to say that the police got involved. I would love to say that people listened to me and believed me, but that didn't happen. The dad who saved me called my parents and told them about what happened, and then nothing. No one took any action. Now, let's fast forward to 17 years later. I'm 27 years old, and I'm living in Saudi Arabia. My family was the target of a terrorist attack on November 13, 1995 in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Seven of our friends died in that attack, and my now ex-husband was injured. Following that attack, the FBI came to investigate, and they offered counseling and training 
to victims or family members of victims of this attack. When we were told that one of the training sessions that they were offering was information on how not to get kidnapped, you had better believe that I was there. And so I want to share with you some things that I learned. First of all, kidnappers scope out their victims ahead of time. Generally speaking, everything, there are exceptions to everything, but this is generally speaking. Kidnappers will scope out their victims ahead of time. They will start with a pool of potential victims, and then they start to narrow that list down through observation. They first carry out their observation, preferably without being seen. They're watching to see what pattern of life do you have. Do you have a pattern? Is it a predictable pattern? Are there times that you are alone when you're an easy target? And if your patterns are predictable, are they predictable enough that they will know when and where to find you? When they have narrowed their list down to people who are predictable, who are alone at predictable times that they will be an easy target, then they move on to the next phase, which is making sure that you see them and that they scare you in some way. They test you. They want to see how you will react. Are you going to be an easy target? And they scare you just enough to know how you'll react when you're scared. They want to know if you're the type of person who's going to scream, kick, and hit, and bite, or if you're the type of person who's going to freeze and be an easier target. Once they know that you're predictable and that you are relatively easy to push into the black zone, that you go into freeze mode, then they choose a date and a time, and they go after you. Exactly like he had done to me all those years ago. Thankfully, I also learned how to not be the victim. The FBI trainer who was there told us a couple of stories. One of the stories was about when the FBI busted a kidnapping ring. This was overseas and involved a terrorist organization, but they said similar things apply in the United States as well. And with this kidnapping ring, they found a notebook with notes on their possible victims that they were thinking of kidnapping. And on this list of victims, um, one of the people had been crossed off the list, and a note next to this name said, too security conscious. Obviously, being the FBI, they wanted to talk to this guy and ask, what do you do? How are you too security conscious? What, what can we learn from what you're doing that caused them to cross your name off the list and decide not to kidnap you? So they went to talk to this guy, and he was surprised because he didn't think he did anything. The FBI asked him to walk them through his day. He left home to go to work at different times each day, depending on how things were going at home and depending on the flow of traffic that day. So notice he's being unpredictable there. He lived in a high crime neighborhood. So when he got outside to his car, the first thing he did was he always checked for hubcaps, if his hubcaps were still on his car. He varied which route he drove to work based on the traffic reports. The FBI said that the, to the kidnappers, this had appeared that this man was intentionally changing up his routine, and they thought that he was checking for car bombs. The man said that, interestingly, he wouldn't have known a car bomb if he saw one, but the point is, that didn't matter. The key was, he was doing something. He was doing something that made him not the easiest target. 
He did not have to know or do everything, and he didn't have to do it perfectly. He just happened to be unpredictable and to appear like he knew what he was doing. Since that training that I had in Saudi Arabia, I have learned a lot more about kidnapping and how targets are selected. And I can look back at my 10-year-old self and I can see exactly how the kidnappers were looking at this situation. First of all, I was a daydreamer. I walked around with my head in the clouds all the time, telling myself stories that I made up as I delivered papers or as I walked late to school. So easy target step number one, be lost in your own head regularly. Next, I had a routine. I came home from school at the same time every day. I did the same paper out every day and I was late for school almost every day. Easy target step number two for how to get kidnapped is be as predictable as possible. Next thing, I was late for school almost every day, meaning I was walking alone. I wasn't with a group of people. So easy target step number three for how to get kidnapped, be alone, regularly, predictably. Fourth, I was easy to put into the black zone. When he scared me, I did not get mad. I didn't knock at someone's door. I didn't take off running. I didn't scream. I froze. So easy target step number four for how to get kidnapped. Slip from being in your own head, lost in your own thoughts, into the black zone where you freeze and you're susceptible to influence. Because in this state, you're going to do what you're told. The FBI helped me turn those things around that day. They spelled out some simple things that we can do to make ourselves the hard target. Because criminals are looking for an easy target. They're looking for the purse that's left on the seat of the shopping cart while you grab your boxes of macaroni and cheese. Don't be that purse sitting on the shopping cart seat. Be the hard target. And here's how. Step number one, don't be lost in your own head. Having your AirPods in, listening to music, humming to yourself, lost in your own thoughts, don't do that. Be aware of your surroundings. Keep an eye on the people around you. If someone looks out of place to you or if something feels wrong, look directly at them. This lets them know that you are not one of those people who's lost in their own thoughts. You're paying attention to your surroundings. You're not the easy target they're looking for. Step number two, be unpredictable. Shake up your daily routine. Swap out what time you go to the gym. Go to grocery stores on different days, even different locations. Make it difficult for criminals to know where and when they're going to find you. Again, be the hard target. Step number three, go together. Take a friend with you. Don't be the lone gazelle that the lion can hunt. Stay with the pack. Step number four, Learn about the black zone. The important thing to know is that when you are surprised and scared out of your thoughts, you will be likely to be pushed into that mental place where you're scared and where you can't think clearly. At those times, you need to do two things. You need to say no and you need to get out. Scream if you have to. Screaming is your friend. Program that into your brain right now ahead of time before it happens. This is obviously not perfect training. We're not 
military special ops being trained in this, but just having an awareness of the black zone and that it means that you need to say no and you need to get out can help your brain make a decision at a time when it might be stuck in the freeze part of fight, flight, or freeze. Finally, you know that saying, if you see something, say something, do it. Sometimes that means you have to do something. That dad saw something when I was 10 years old, and rather than minding his own business, he took action. He saved my life. A while after the training with the FBI in Saudi Arabia, I was, again, the victim of an attempted kidnapping. As unbelievable as that is, even to me. I am not going to go into all of the details of this incident, but I will tell you that when this man opened his car door and told me to get in, I froze And then I remembered, say no. So I said no. And he kept insisting, and I kept saying no more loudly. And I started backing up and saying no even more loudly. And this time, I wasn't alone. There was someone else down the street, and he heard me shouting no. He came running, and he pulled me onto the side of the road. Learning about the black zone and saying no worked. And that man down the street who saw something... Again, just like the dad back in Minnesota, he did something. Now you know much of what I know about how to avoid being kidnapped. I sincerely hope that this is an episode that you never need. I also sincerely hope that you will share this episode with someone that you care about. Send it to your sisters, post it on social media, spread the word, share it with your daughters, your sons, your friends... Because let's take care of each other. Let's help keep each other safe. Let's learn what we can do to not be the victim of a kidnapping. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Rebecca, and these things I know.